same things you did 20 years ago in email and retention marketing are not gonna work in 2024. In February, all the changes are happening to Gmail and Yahoo, and the three things that are happening right now are very simple. One, authenticated sending, and what I mean by that is having that tie-in with your ISP, with the technical side of your things are gonna be more important than ever, especially those smaller brands that haven't been thinking about this are gonna be majorly affected. Number two, it's gonna be all about technology. Now, your ESP should be taking care of you here, but you've gotta have one click unsubscribe. And number three is gonna be the major one, the one that's gonna impact people the most. Welcome back to season three. Today, we got a really special guest. Not only is he one of our title sponsors, but he's someone that I actually have a really trouble, troubling time to introduce. And the reason is, is there's not many things that Jimmy Kim hasn't done. Whether you look at building a brand, being in the affiliate marketing space, and now starting an incredible SaaS business that we're proud users of, there is probably not enough time to talk about everything you've been through in your life and what you've built. But I'm super proud and super happy to have you on board here at Chew On This. And thank you for supporting us. And thank you so much for making it down here. Yeah, man, guys, thank you guys for having me on here. Beautiful studio here, excited to be here and chat with the world. Absolutely. So Jimmy, like, you know, uh, I've, I've gotten to spend hours and hours talking to you about different things, but if you had to sum up those hours in 90 seconds, what, who is Jimmy Kim and what the hell are you doing? Yeah, uh, I'm a guy who's been around the world a bit, right? So I started my life in the car business first. That was my first life, first career. Joined digital marketing in 2008 when the, the whole uh, last recession occurred and I made a big shift and pivot. Fell in love with this little thing called email marketing way back then. I learned that I can congregate a group of people, a tribe of people, and I could tell them to do something. And then if they did it, I could make money off of it. And that got me really excited about it. I uh, started building this great, affiliate marketing content creator empire. And in that time, I ended up uh, investing in a company that, well, it wasn't an investment, it was a loan to the guy first, and it became an investment to a brand that we took. It was a brick and mortar men's streetwear company. And we took that brand and we turned it from a boutique where we sold everyone else's stuff to our own men's streetwear cut and sew clothing. And we became a direct to consumer business. And by the time I exited, we were doing north of $10 million annually. This was back in 2016. Wow. And learning through all that and all the pains and problems that I had, I created this little tool, which is called Sendlane today. It was actually not called Sendlane back then. And we used that tool between myself and the other two people that put our money together, our co-founders that kind of put the product together. Uh, we generated over $150 million over four years together using that tool. And Same. in 2017, when I kind of looked around and I was like, what do I want to go do next? I'm bored. You know, these things are great. They're cash cows, but they're not creating that fulfillment. I looked around and I said, I want to go build and solve the next problem. And the problem was never to solve email. I loved email, but the problem that I always wanted to solve was the tech stack problem. And I had that problem in 2016, the same problem that persists here today. It's worse actually than ever. <laughs> and there's millions of tech. And I, you know, I understand there's a reason and need for all that. But reality is a lot of that core stack could be brought together. Not only will it consolidate that whole data, uh, data side of things where everything has got great parity behind it, but you can do more with it. And of course, you can save people a lot of money behind it by bringing bringing it all together and the way software is today, you know, building these things and building and understanding what people need is probably the most important thing that we do today. So that's what we did today. So today, Sendlane, I'm sure many of the listeners here, but we're an email, we're a unified email, SMS and reviews platform for e-commerce merchants. 
I didn't even realize you made Send Lane just for yourself mm-hmm. to start with. <laughs> yeah. That's actually insane. Yeah. So, I mean, at the time, this was 2016, right? No, this is all 2013. 2013. Yeah. So, I guess the platforms around then was what, like MailChimp? MailChimp and Bronto. So, we okay. wanted Bronto, but we could only afford MailChimp prices. <laughs> right, right. And we just couldn't afford, because back then, Bronto was the king, and there was a lot of money there. And we were like, well, we know what we want to happen and occur. We mm-hmm. want these events to happen, the triggered events, like the things that we do today. Right. We just didn't know how to do them, and the only way to do it was to go buy Bronto. And we said, screw that. Let's put 10 grand each in and let's start building this platform. And it's going to make us more money. We can control anything we want. And obviously it's real easy. So we'll just go do that. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely easy. Yeah. Like if, if I can't figure out a problem, I'm just going to make the solution. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the typical entrepreneur mindset yeah. though. Like, let's just go solve that no, problem, you know? Insane. It's like, I mean, well, thinking about that, right? Like how... Like how many features were you missing from like what was on the market that you were just like, you know what, I need to just sink some money into this and and build it out. Yeah. So our first tool is really funny. It did a lot of cool stuff, but it did it in the most backwards convoluted ways because we didn't care about UI, UX. It was for Mm. us, right? So we knew that we had to click this back button twice in order to go forward here and do these weird things, (laughs) but we made it work ultimately. And honestly, like the the end goal was, can we make this make us money, right? Mm -hmm. We focused on revenue, we focused on dollars and every little thing that we did, like a a browse abandoned back then, you know, people couldn't understand that, but we learned that if you were logged in, if you could identify them, then you can trigger events based around their last visit. So we created something like that and that evolved into our tool over time. But like we were understanding that back then and that's what we'd be doing to maximize all my our businesses probably 80 percent of the money that we were generating even in my brand was through email and there was a reason for that is because we were just really good at email understanding it right you know one thing uh you mentioned um just now was like what sendlane is today is it's this unified platform where you get to have email sms and loyalty right um now, in, in, in review, sorry. Um, when you look at um, email, SMS, and, and reviews, there is obviously something that triggered you that says everything needs to be in one platform, right? And I think besides the obvious reasons of it's easier and it makes you know just more functional sense, I, I think there's, there's something in there that that's a little bit visionary too because not many SaaS companies or not many of the behemoths out there have thought that way. And you're seeing the market shift that way. You're ahead of it. Um, give us a little peek into where that came from. Yeah. So start off. This is my second reviews product I've built. Believe it or not, I actually <laughs> built one before called Review Trust. Twenty thousand users on it is a great like digital marketing review product. So I built it, and I understood it pretty early, and understood it was just it was easy ultimately, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the vision comes back this way, right? I look at the the thought behind what an email marketer does and what a retention marketer does. And there's a difference here. An email marketers focus solely on the email side. They don't, they, they focus on like email, the copy, the design. They focus on a lot of that stuff. But when you think about retention, they start thinking about the business goals, the inventory, the CS side of things, and they start bringing those together. And if you start looking at what customer experiences, right? I think what's been really interesting is like watching the world evolve, right? When I was in retail storefront and we had a retail store, you know, you hung signs up, you kind of carved the path that people walked and you had to walk them, you had to help them, you had to ask them questions. When you switch that to a digital landscape, you don't have all the same things. You don't get to see the person's face. You don't get to see what they're looking at outside of the pages they're looking at. You don't get to answer their questions in real time as fast enough. So to get more data together and go get more information, you're going to bring it all together and be able to actually effectively do better marketing, right? And then you add that reviews layer. And I think where people miss on the reviews is, yeah, it's great to go collect reviews. We all get it. Putting on site is also there, right? 
but dynamically bringing them as injecting them into the messaging to personalize essentially, right? It's just another layer of personalization. An abandoned cart leaves the cart and you have the exact ratings of that product under it and the reviews for it. Well, that feels a heck of a lot better. Yeah. And you're bringing the information that most consumers care about most often, right? They care about reviews. They want to see what other people are doing, right? So bringing that up front is what people want to see. And so if you just smoothly put it, put it in front of it, it just boosts conversions. It helps, right? Being able to segment against people's ratings and upsetness, right? Like mm -hmm. all of these things are part of that future thing that everyone calls customer experience. And I know everyone has their own version of it. But to me, customer experience is very simple. It's part of the retention stack, actually. Yeah. And it needs to evolve into that. And I need to see more and more of those tools bring together, which is going to get you more information. First party data, zero party, all those different things that you have to bring in. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I know for us, you, you touched on the, the email side of things versus retention. And it's such a good point, especially when you're looking at like where the market stands today, mm -hmm. um, where acquisition is at all time high. It's actually un unsustainable, right? Um, you have some people who can justify CAC to LTV because they know their numbers well. You have many people that are burning. And then you have some people who are like, screw it. I'm just going to move towards retention and take a down year or just be, be efficient and profitable. Um, and in each bucket, what the overarching thing is, is you're really led by how strong your retention is, right? Um, and so I think it's, it's, it's a really good point on bringing up kind of the difference between how we were looking at email SMS before hmm. and how I think we're treating it now. Correct. Right. It's like, wait, no, this is like this precious piece. And, and I, and I see it even in the discussions of so many brands moving to, let's say, uh, uh, Sendlane. It's like, oh, I'm moving because I care about it differently rather than it just being a tool yep. to send. Yep. Right. And, um, Again, I, I, I want to poke at this because it's, it's, there's something that you probably saw out there more, and which is like, this was something that in during COVID time, you're like, I, I, email, SMS, yeah, just send, send it, blast it, blast right? It's like, yeah. it was sort of granted. Yep. Yet, like, the way you built the product, uh, which I still find always just so fascinating, is like, you built it for what was going to happen in the future. Mm. Uh, and just so curious on, like, again, where that build out roadmap thought process is just rolling through. Yeah, so I'm gonna start with a story. How do most people learn email marketing, right? Well, this is how they learn. You gave it to someone, a team member that you have and said, hey, send some email, we need to make money. And that was like the instruction a lot of people had. So they went and typed their email up, built it, grabbed beautiful designs, whatever they believed in, and they would just blast it out. That's how email kind of started. Over the years, we went into a unique structure where we started getting more data and information. And though we had a lot of that data information, and there's some great marketers out there who are retention marketers who have really took that data and leveraged it, but the majority of the space still has fallen into that kind of segment. You know that term batch and blast, right? We've all heard that, right? <laughs> we used to make fun of people because they would just pick their list and then they would send off. Well, today's batch and blast is if you just take your 90 day segments engaged and send it because you have literally no thought process behind who's inside that audience yep. that you're just sending it to your most engaged because you want your <laughs> metrics to look good, right? Mm -hmm. Your open rate, which we all know is bullshit now, right? So mm -hmm. like you look at something like that and then you look at something like a click rate and they're really low. And the reason why it's happening is because people started to ignore the data again. So when I talk about retention, it's like this. You have prospects, you have customers, and you have repeat buyers. I call them, there are three different buckets in my opinion. I call this the MVC framework because it's very simple to understand. And you have these three buckets. And each one of those buckets have a different goal. 
Everyone has. Your prospects, you're trying to get their first sale. Your first uh, one, you want to get them to uh, repeat, and then those repeat, you want them to continue to repeat, right? And though we have that data right in front of our fingertips, you'd be surprised how many people just don't care about it. Mm. But when you actually break down the dollars and cents, and I challenge customers all the time with this, I'm like, let's go ahead and just do one small thing, guys. Let's go ahead and split this up, and let's look at where the money comes from. Well, guess what? The money comes from your customers and your repeat customers, not your prospects, not your prospects. right? But yet we handle those prospects like gold. We pay so much money for them. We sit there, we hammer them, but we don't go out and separate that messaging because they need something more. Yep. They're on the edge, but they're not doing it. They're not gonna respond the same way as your buyers do. And a lot of times we get our data muddied. So when we talk about retention, it's like understanding that business goal and the bigger outlook, and then also layering that with inventory and business needs and cash needs and cash flow and understanding like what is the overall goal. And to your point there about acquisition retention, I always talk about this. You can't do just one or the other. You yeah. have to do both. Too many brands go, I'm gonna do acquisition now and not focus on retention. And then once they're like struggling, they go, I wanna go retention and then I'll do less acquisition. You can't do that. It's, a, it's literally a yin and yang. It's the follow-up. It's the six-month sales cycle that occurs after you've made the sale, right? right? What can you do to continue that? So it's a continuous flywheel that has to occur. Without traffic, your retention eventually dies through attrition because no matter how good your product is, you're gonna have attrition. You're gonna lose those customers over time. Yep. So that's that's really where like we start seeing like, why don't people realize this? And I think people are starting to realize it more and more, but for me, Way back in 2013, I understood this pretty clearly that an opt-in lead is so different than a purchaser versus a repeat purchaser. And we were targeting him that early on. And you know, I always say this in market, I hammered on the prospects, meaning I'm gonna push them as hard as I can to either buy or get off my list. Mm. Why? Well, get them off your list because you're wasting money. It's negative ROI right. if you're sitting on your list. And dude, if you look at your list today, I guarantee you probably have some people who've been on their list for two years and never purchased anything, but opened every email and yeah. you've clicked a bunch. Are they really worth it? Probably not. Yeah. But in our mind, as email marketers, you think about that, but as a retention marketer, you start thinking differently about it and realize there's a life cycle. You know your average customer converts 30, 60, 90 days, however long it takes. And when that conversion cycle ends, they're at risk. They're like a, basically a crappier lead every day that goes by because they're most likely not gonna pull out their wallet and buy. And having that mentality is really hard to understand. It's like, what do you mean you wanna get rid of the things that I've built right. so hard? But right. the reality is you're supposed to be drilling down into the quality not into just holding the net out wide, right? That's the difference when you start thinking about how a, a marketer is gonna approach this. I think even before switching to Sunlane, there was, um, I think after following you on Twitter and seeing the, the tips that you put out, right? Um, I think one of the biggest tips that stuck out to me and it like, I think changed my perceptive on how to handle retention marketing is you have a customer who opens an email, they click on something, they don't buy. What does that mean? right? They're telling you what they're interested in just by that click, yep. right? And obviously it, it affects open rate, click rate. And you're like, oh, this person's engaged. I'm going to send them an email every other day because, you know, they're, they're opening my emails. But they literally told you out of maybe four or five links that are in the email, they clicked on this one. That's something that they're interested in. Why didn't they buy? Yeah. Right. So bucking them into its own segment and then treating them separately. Right. So I think for pre-Black Friday, um, we decided to maybe give this a little bit more of a test and um, kind of doing the pre-launch emails where it's like, okay, Black Friday is coming, click here to be notified, right? We've never done that strategy before. We've always said, oh, we'll send them to a form, yep. they'll put in their email, they'll put in their SMS, and we'll like segment them that way. All we needed them to do was just click something, and that indicated to us that they were ready to 
shop Black Friday sale, that segment alone brought in more revenue than any other segment. And so that's where I'm like, we've been doing this wrong for yeah, like the yeah. longest time and nobody's been talking about it until I think you did. Yeah, yeah, I talk about the click a lot because everyone leans on this magical open number, but the reality is it's false and inflated and yeah. we all know that. It's a trend line, that's all it's good for. And to your point, man, yeah, your buyers are literally telling you often, even your email or SMS, why do they click? Not because they're bored, not because they just opened it. They click because there was intent behind yeah. it. And oftentimes people blame the email, but the reality is the email's only goal is to get the click. Right. And then it's your product page and whatever your hook and offering is to close it. And if they didn't close there, you need to go find out why. It could be a product page problem, right? right. It could be a landing page, it could be anything. It could just be that you didn't resonate or they forgot. I and mean, there's all so many reasons that occurs, but you're absolutely right. I think, uh, I think this year, as we see a lot of the changes that are happening in deliverability, more and more people are gonna start understanding that Dude, the click is all that really mattered at the end of the day, and that's going to become mm -hmm. more and more. And same thing with paid ads. I mean, mm -hmm. let's look at the top of the funnel. Like, who cares? If they viewed the viewed the ad. They care about right. the click that drove it to that. It's the same thing. But again, I always say this: we follow a twenty year old playbook that everyone can't evolve out of, where acquisition is like the most rapid changing playbook in the market. Mm -hmm. What happened six months ago doesn't work today. What people argue about six months ago changes. An email or even retention it's been pretty flat overall. Yep. And that's the, you know, that's what I, I aim to change in the market that people understand, like there is a better strategy. There's more you can do with it. And that data is right there in front of it. But change, of course, is a really hard thing to institute into the market. Yeah. So with deliverability, right? Cause it, you just mentioned it, our whole, like, I guess, thesis prior to kind of moving things over and shifting the strategy has always been, well, we should only send emails to people who are opening. Otherwise we're going to end up in spam and this and that and it hurts, right? Overall. How do you guys view deliverability um, and kind of moving away from just like, all right, I'm just going to hit the engaged audience. Like, are you guys opening up the list and, and kind of segmenting by engagement that way? Like, how do you guys, like, how do you think about deliverability? Yeah, so the reason why we went to this model where we don't charge for contacts and we went to usage, there's a reason for that because I wholeheartedly believe that there's different buyers in different cycles and different things that occur ultimately. You know, if you run a tight 90 day window, that's great. But there's events and things that are occurring where you do need to spread out the net. You do need mm. to go reach out, right? Holidays, for example, are a perfect time. In this world, in direct-to-consumer, so many people are just buying for the holidays. Just because they didn't engage, they're probably not your buyer that's on that other end often. Mm -hmm. They didn't engage because it wasn't relevant to them today, but when it's a holiday, right. there was someone special they were buying for at that time that right. comes in, right? So having the understanding of data, understanding cycles of your product, understanding different things. If you've got a product that's just really good and doesn't need to be replaced very often, it's much harder, right? So you have to spread the net longer and wait longer in order to get them. So to your point, to your question there is, look, deliverability will always be a challenge, but finding balance and understanding how to leverage older data, bringing it back in, trying to recover data, trying to bring people, especially your customers. The ones that spent money are like, to me, the most gold people in the market that you have. Prospects are prospects, but those mm -hmm. customers, if you can start getting them to re-engage or just get reconnected with you, it's good. And so I always tell people like, you should always be spreading the net just a little bit. Mm -hmm. Just throw it out there, see what happens. If you can pull, let's just say you can pull 100 more people into the funnel and you can get one more sale into the funnel. That could be 50 to 100, 200 bucks, just like that. And that's all you did was literally just spread the net a little spread bit it. wider.
right? Yeah. And I think it's important. I don't think it's all about just tightening the net and being really strong. It's about being strategic about it, knowing that I've got a really hyper audience and I could put a non-hyper audience here and it's gonna use the domain effect and the reputation effect to kind of spread that good word into that side of the world. Chew on this is sponsored by one crucial strategy that we just can't ignore as D2C brands and that's email and SMS. We'll be sending a ton and guess who's our go-to? We use Sendlane. It's not just another tool, it's a revolution. With real-time segmentation, you're reaching users with precision when you hit send on that email or SMS. The reporting UI, you may ask, it's a breath of fresh air. Simple, straightforward, and gets right to the point. No more sitting through confusing data and random charts you have no idea about what it's saying. And here's the crown jewel, their customer support. Round the clock, weekends, holidays, 24-7, 365, always open like 7-Eleven. No exceptions, they've got your back always. If you want to elevate your email and SMS game and you're tired of what everyone in the industry is used to using, check out Sendlane and see why Sendlane is the name that's buzzing in everyone's ears. Dive in and you'll thank us later. Now, let's get back to the episode. You know, I think it comes down to content, right? I think there's there's a lot of brands that will just hammer the list and say, uh, you know, offer, offer, offer. And to your point that they're not always ready to buy, right? Until holiday season or whatever it is or whenever they're done with the product right i think content and education and value is what's going to bridge the gap from all right i bought today and i will eventually buy later down the line but if they're integrate if they're interacting with the valuable content the valuable education that will be engagement somewhere down the line where you're like all right cool they've they they like what we're putting out they like the product all right cool i can actually send them an email without it going to spam yeah, no, I think um, that's what that's one battle that we've always had too. It's like, especially when you have maybe a product that's moving more towards becoming commoditized, like a let's say collagen or just health and wellness and supplements in general. Um, you can you 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 feel like as sometimes as a, maybe the brand founder or the or, or the um, operator, we're like, I can I can do this blog, but like they probably should know this already. Like they bought the product yeah. and it's, and that assumption is probably the biggest, you know, the biggest uh, regret looking back is like, oh damn, maybe should have hammered this more. Yep. Versus like, here's this better offer and a race to bottom with yeah. your own self. You just want to see like a, a dollar amount yeah. associated with that email. Yeah. So it's like, you don't want to yeah. Yeah. waste it. You yeah. know, that's that. And, and I think, I think so much of it. And I, I feel like I sometimes still get into these discussions with people um and it's um it's this vanity metrics that have ha and it's forget revenue for a second i even think the whole idea of hoarding a large list is like oh yeah i got i got a quarter million oh, i yeah. got a half a million people in my email yeah. list it doesn't mean anything yeah right i think it did like maybe a few years up until a few mm. years ago maybe even not before that yeah it's been probably a good 10 years since it's really been worth anything right yeah but 10 fair. years ago when spam filters are loose man it was all yeah. about the size of your list right right you know? that's true i i think i think though as as brand founders though you're like you're 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 trained on email of like acquire like get the get a really good opt-in 15 percent opt-in on your on your pop-up get that list built, build that list, build that list. And you're like, okay, I'm building, I'm building, I'm building. And then you're like, all right, well now send to engage, send yeah. to engage, send to engage. And like, you're kind of trained this way. Like you, majority of the material you consume, 
this is how you're trained to operate, yeah. right? Um, and, and I think it, it, in, in that world of of of, of Clavio and, and and where we all built many of our our, our email programs um, before moving to Sunlane, it was like that was the dialect. Yeah. That was what you were talked about, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think the the one big piece here is like where I want to uh, you know understand more is like you created certain feature sets in Sunlane to combat exactly what I just said. Um, walk us through some of those like really peculiar pieces that you're like, I'm gonna build this into it because it's one, it's gonna be easier, but two, this is what we really need. So I'd love to understand some of those different. Yeah, there's a lot we can dive into here, but I'll, I'll kind of start at the top here and I'll start with the deliverability side first, right? Yeah. So back in the day, we were too naive to understand that there was third parties that out there that, that did this for us. So we thought we had to build it ourselves. But of course that ended up with a really great place for us where we could build this engine. And the cool thing about our engine that we've built and we think about ourselves pretty cutting edge and we talk about this at Mog and different places when we do it, mm -hmm. is that we use a lot of the network effect, the different signals and different things to help us understand human behavior. We use third parties to help scrub lists. We try to we try to find the best hygienic data because that's where it all starts when it comes to email. Like everything else bar none, hygiene is number one. And you know what you said, like, oh, everyone's focused on opt-in, but we all know there's bots, there's crap traffic, there's people who type in ABCD, whatever. Like all those things need to be filtered out because that all affects your deliverability, right? right? So in the back end, we're really intelligent on that side. And that's something that we consider ourselves a superpower when we think about ourselves and why like when brands come over from places often and they have issues, we're able to quickly identify, solve, and point them in the right direction. And it doesn't take us a lot of work because the data is right in front of us, right? right? And then the second part, when we started thinking about like the product itself, right? I think we think about a lot of things differently because I come from a different world of marketing and I come with this mentality of like maximizing dollars and clicks and value out of everything that we do. And that's even like starting with our Let's start with the base things, audience management, right? We have lists and segments, very different than everyone else has. Lists are where everything starts. It's your bucket of people, and segments are your dynamic audiences that are always real-time changing. That means that if I send an email out at 11 a.m. and I want to exclude the people that have clicked my SMS at 9 a.m., I can do that in real time. You it's can't crazy. do that in most platforms because they didn't start with a unified future thought, right? They thought about you know adding products to add revenue where I thought about this is the problem I want to solve. Uh, another thing is tax. I think tagging is one of the most huge under talked about things because my competitors have screwed up the word essentially. Yeah. They, they have made tagging think like, oh yeah, it's a useless thing that you just do and you can add some tags to users. Well, for us, it's completely behavior based. Every action can create a tag from as simple as clicking on a specific link, visiting a site. You could put up tags that say, visit a page nine times, add this tag because they're a high intent user. Mm. You can't do that. And then a tag could do something, right? It can trigger, it can segment against, it can do real time action. So it's the most flexible thing we built. And I love this tool because way back in the day, the way I used it was the same thing we're doing. We used to ask people questions leading through copy and based on what they click on, I would know that these are the people that I want to sell more to. So, you know, for Avi, for example, weight loss, uh, skincare, whatever it might be, right? Healthier skin, better night's sleep. If you start understanding that most of your people are here for better night's sleep and talking about weight loss, well, you're not going to connect with your audience. Yeah. And what you need to do is take that understanding of what they're connecting with and 
amplify it. And that's what tagging was really built for is to take contextual data, the yep. intent of the click and drive more value behind it, right? right? So there's things like that. I mean, there's all sorts of things. I mean, we use the most latest cutting edge things like MJML uh, on our on our uh, email so that we can try to help with the Gmail clipping problem that a lot of people face, right? If people don't understand, it's not images, it's the compression engine behind the email. What happens when you take an email and you send it out? You don't just send out an email like you might think like we send it out an email. We take it, we compress it into a huge package with thousands of other emails. And then they're all personalizing their sent in batches out through a system, right? And that compression engine is what causes Gmail clipping because HTML5, the older, it's not older, it's just not designed for email correctly where you have something MJML, which is MailJet markup language, which is an email design compression engine, which is why I can take an image. I was just doing this with uh, a, uh, an agency of ours. They, they were like, yeah, we're writing into this clipping with this customer. I said, send me the images. And I'm gonna paste it four times more and we're gonna make the email four times longer and watch it not clip on our side. And we showed him that and he was like, why? I said, because we're compressing it. We're using a modern engine. Again, just newer things when you mm. think about it with the news cutting edge. Like we don't even like technical debt in our company. I know it's a weird thing to say as a SaaS company, but we slow down every couple quarters to solve technical debt so we can get it off our plate so we can move forward because it will make you run faster forward later. Right? It's incredible. You know, thinking like that, right? So yeah. those are some of the things that we think about. But yeah, man, there's I mean, we can keep going down the line, but there's a lot of things we do down to even like the multi-store thing, right? Like, yep. why do we have to be a single store centric ESP? You don't have to be. I never thought that made sense. So I went to a multi-store uh, platform and that can be beneficial to some people and not maybe some people don't care, but like, it's really nice when you have a USA and Canada store that you don't need two accounts. Yes, right. That's pointless. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we, you know? we, we wasted a lot of money. Doing, <laughs> yeah, exactly. A lot of people waste money doing this. And yeah. it's like, but your other audience, we all know, no matter what, if you just order, they're never going to be as big as your USA, but you're right. doing literally the same amount of work on two accounts yeah. for a lot less money. Yeah. You know, I think um, it, it's, uh, it's funny because like sometimes when you're thinking about, again, email, SMS, reviews, right? I think the overarching theme that comes up in topic is, if it's not broken, don't go out to try and fix it. Sure. Okay? But I think the argument is is more now like if it's not optimal, you have to optimize it. Yeah. Right. It's not about um, the core thing of like, oh, well, I'm my email revenue is here and my SMS is here. It's, it's fine. You know, it's it's more about like, are you getting the most out of it? And I think that um, I, I think that's going to be one of the, I'm sure your one of your larger challenges is shifting that mindset, yeah. right? Um, and and I think part of that mindset can come from like debunking some myths, right? And uh, maybe you have like a, a few off the top of your head. I know you you you've you've badgered open rate enough on this podcast, and I think it's it's the right way to go about it. But maybe some other ones that are like holding these people back and just being like, well that's not true or no, you need to focus on this. Maybe you can touch on a couple of these myths that we can debunk. Yeah, let, let me go back and start with a little story. So I'll, I'll go back and I'll start showing my age a little bit, but back in like <laughs> 2008 to 2012, what happened was we went into this rush of like all in one, right? In the software world, that's what happened. A lot of companies, there's a perfect company, uh, Infusionsoft, Keep. I don't know if you know who that company is, but they're a CRM company and they were early days, but they were one of the earlier ones that consolidated and try to bring the entire stack together. And I think the difference really comes down to is one simple thing. Back then versus today, the technology and the ability to code, the ability to program, the ability to develop has changed so much today, mm -hmm. right? So back then they went there and then they, people were like, well, we need best in class tools because best in class is obviously the only way. And we went into this ridiculous 
phase of going best in class school. And there's nothing wrong with it. I get it when you need to do a certain thing. But by bring, bringing together best in class and doing integrations behind everything, the gap of data started to appear pretty quickly. And people are starting to, to realize that. And yeah, there have been companies that are working on bridging that gap and trying to make it a smoother, better experience. But let's let's be honest here. If we have two platforms, there's always going to be an issue behind the data. There's mm -hmm. never going to be perfect, right? So when I think about those early things that I was trying to solve was like, let's take segmentation, for example, and not let segmentation be in you know what I mean? Like disparity, like don't let them be apart. They need to be working together in unison, right? And in order to do that, you've got to bring the data together in order to do that, right? So you take that, you take the dynamic effects of like bringing data in and being able to enrich it in multiple places from like an SMS message to an email message. Like you need to have that parity to have that congruent feeling That's where right. the customer is feeling it because look, I'm sure you know, like as much as we live and breathe in this world, the customer, they have no freaking clue. As far as they're concerned, you're just an online company. Yeah. And how you treat them and how you talk to them, how you work with them is how they're going to perceive you. That's right. And so if you're just the guys who send them a sale advertisement every day, look, there's nothing wrong with it. It'll work. You'll maximize the dollars. But the reality is they're going to have no loyalty to you because you're just a sale brand where you might not have a mission or something they can believe and stand behind, right? At that point, you're no different than Amazon. Might as well just go to Amazon and buy at that point because there's no connection, right? That's an Amazon. There's It's proven people buy without connection. They don't care, right? But there's yep. also a layer of people who do want that connection, especially in a brand like your goal is not to have them buy from you just generally. You want them to buy from you directly. You right. don't want them to buy from Amazon or your retailers or wholesale or whoever it might be. You want them to buy from you because that's how you maximize your dollar. Right. You built the loyalty, you put it out there, spend a lot of money out there and you want them to come back. And the reason why they're gonna come back to you is because they feel connection to you. And I think having those connections are extremely hard because it's, you know, how much can you email? How many can you SMS? How can you sell them at the same time? There's a nature to it, right? Like you don't have to sell to sell. You have to sell with, I like to always say like the market is now wants to buy with you, not to be sold to. Mm. And what I mean by that is they want to buy because they believe that we're doing it together, yeah. right? The best brands out there feel like they're doing it together with you. And it's, I mean, Avi is a perfect example. As I looked in the community, I think it's absolutely mind-blowing how people are out there supporting each other, telling them to use this product because that's the centralization that brought them together, not the reason why, not the reason why they're using the product. There's, we talked about, there's a lot of collagen options, but they like the fact that you put a community together yeah. and built that community and that's why they're using your product. That's the why and why they continue to buy your product, right? But you've got to be able to spread that message, talk about it, be in front of them, and to your point, over-communicate the living crap out of it yeah. because yeah. Guys, I know that we think we over talk about it, but the internet moves like that, man. Yeah. And you've got to move just as fast and you got to keep telling him. And I know you might sound like a broken record, but that's the truth. That's how you make that messages is. on the internet actually spread out. That's well said. Um, I think uh, the, 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 you touched on uh, a lot of great points on that piece, but I think one I want to like just draw upon a little bit more is when you're when you're looking at consumers and and the the mindset that they have take even two years ago versus today and maybe two years from now okay um i want to draw on a little bit of your 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 experience and being able to maybe predict things um how are you crafting your sendlane roadmap feel free to drop uh, pre-releases um but how are you crafting your sendlane roadmap um in line with where you think consumers are going to go. Yeah. 
Um, everything is more focused on the bigger vision of retention that we continue to go after. So obviously today, email, SMS, reviews, we've got our next product coming out probably whenever, I don't know when this pod will drop, but uh, we'll line it up <laughs> uh, whenever it drops, right? But yeah. it will be our new forms product, but it's not just forms, it's quizzes, surveys, tagging, you know, we recognize all that data is super important, more intent, more segmentation, targeting on site, you know, starting to bring that bridge, that gap of customer experience together. From there, we'll be topping into more things. And I don't want to say it on this pod because <laughs> I've got people that are going to get really upset if I talk about it. But right. the reality is, is like, use your imagination and start thinking about the tools that you use the most in your market to drive retention and loyalty and customer experience. And you should be able to kind of drive that. My goal by 2025 is to bring it together and then to start solving real life cycle attribution behind that too. Because if you can start actually taking a customer at the retention point, I'm not saying I'm gonna solve the full attribution window. I'm not, I'm leaving that to people like North Beam or Triple Whale, like they, they can focus on that, right? I wanna focus on the life cycle attribution model. And what I mean by that is, look, we all understand how attribution to the initial sale happens and how sales happen. But what about understanding when a repeat customer purchase behavior is happening, when they're most ready to make that purchase? And I know we can talk about AI and use all the intent, but the number one thing that starts with is having the most data together. Hmm. All the actions from as simple as the email click down to the purchase behavior, to their interactions with customer service, to basically every touch point, even if they leave your review or if they sign up for your loyalty program. Right. All these little things are interaction touch points to move the person forward. And so the vision is really simple. It's why can't we bring it all together and give the marketer this over empowering understanding of who their customer is. And then you know, hey, my life cycle, repeat buying cycle is 29 days. If I can make it 28 days, I could effectively increase the revenue of the, of the business five, seven percent over the year, right? Like every little thing incrementally moves, right? Mm -hmm. It's all gonna be about incremental testing though. Like everything that I'm focusing on is like thinking bigger than just A-B testing. Think about right. incremental testing, small tests, you know, op optimizations, because that's what moves the needle for, for most brands at this point. Yeah. As like a SaaS founder and just talking about building out all these tools, right? From a customer perspective, I would love everything to be under one, right? But in your opinion, does that kind of like sacrifice the quality of the, I guess, the separate products? Like in your mind, like how do you, how do you attack that? So quality is always a interesting question because it's not really quality. It's like that deep deafness of features, right? Right. Look, uh, there's a, a saying in SaaS, they say 80% of your customers use 20% of your tools, right? And what we really focus on is that 80% as a mantra in this company. Look, we know that there's best in class tools, things that we won't ever be able to do unless we get into that next level of stage and we're probably gonna avoid them and we might not be the best tool, but that means that you can use the rest of our stack, just not that part of the stack. And then they can integrate and do all their things behind it. But the vision has always been, look, it's so easy to understand what people actually need versus what people are, think are shiny objects. We focus on what's needed and then the shiny objects built on top because you have to, right? So it's like a finding a fine balance. So we'll sprint, we'll move, we'll catch up and then we'll listen, right? Like one of the things we're working on right now, this next Q1 and Q2 as we've been like approving roadmaps and getting things, it's all customer experience related. And what we mean by that is, all the things the customers are asking for, because the beauty of SaaS that I don't think people understand is the customer will tell you what to build, what they want to buy, but we just, no, SaaS founders hate listening and product managers especially want to go validate this and go ask people. But when you can hear the same thing being asked by a merchant three times, it's over, it's, it's wanted, yeah. build it. 
And so we take that mantra, we focus on it. We have our sprints of new product movements, but we also have our slowdown periods. It's how we fix technical debt. We have to how we upgrade our servers, how we get ready for things. And then we go on our next sprint. So right now we're in this cool wind down stage where we're going to get all these products real tightened up really good. And then we'll start our next sprint of our new products. So we won't start a new product market building till middle of the summer, but that's when we'll go on our next big journey. But by then we hope to be at what we call merchant parity, which means everything the merchant does, we have. If they had some weird thing that they did on this platform, well, look, we might not be the perfect platform and we can't serve everybody, but the general broad group is what they're looking for. We know what they want and we know how to solve it. So, you know, today when I look at my competitors and I bring people in, like, yeah, we might be missing one or two little things, but like yeah. I always tell the customer, like, did it produce your revenue? And the answer is mostly no, mm. because they have no idea. And then the second part is like, you know, are you really missing this or like whatever? And most of the time they're just like, yeah, it was just something someone did. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. It's someone something did. And that's honestly the answer that you hear a lot of times from people yeah. is like, oh yeah, some my marketer did that or my agency did that for me. And I'm like, well, what do you do with it? And they're like, oh, I don't know. No idea. Yeah. 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 It's pretty common. Yeah. Um, I, I think a lot of what you just even touched on is like this, um, I, I think where the world of SaaS is going, which is like, it's, it's service with SaaS, right? Um, so it's not just selling a software, it's actually how you're going to service the people, uh, with the software you're selling. And I think that is going to be expected, um, in, in, in the next 12 to 18 months versus, uh, right now, I think people are still getting away without having to provide service. Um, that service mentality, um, obviously we see it firsthand because like we'll literally go on Twitter and be like, we need this feature. Um, <laughs> and like whether you're building it or already have it almost done, um, it's you on the front line, right? Like you're, again, you're, you're seasoned, uh, a veteran in the game. You're um, busy building the actual um, um, uh, SaaS software, but then you're also on the front line um, they're listening. And, and I think there's a huge, huge difference, obviously with a lot of how your competitors are building. Um, I think, I think there's something to say there where it goes into like that service mindset, plus you caring about also a personal brand element of it, because I think you need that when you're bleeding, um, the charge in something so important. Um, where did that start and, and why? Yeah, uh, I won't go into all the details of it, but you know, I, I go all the way back to an uh, incredible book I read from the late Tony Shea of Zappos, right? It's called Delivering mm. Happiness. One of my favorite books that I read. I remember reading this on a plane to Hawaii in like 2010 when I was starting the online journey. And I read that book and I thought about it and I was like, he's so right. Like having cust support or like, cust like communication, that's ultimately what he's talking. Having customer communication is like, Bar none, the number one thing we want. We can be pissed off about everything, but if someone tells you something, it at least feels a little bit better, Always. right? And understanding that. So, you know, having that mentality and then building the company and the culture around that mentality with every business we had, right? My, my D2C brand to uh, my, my first software company to even today, like we've always had the mentality of fast, customer support, customer communication, and so forth. But to your point, I actually have a bigger, broader vision around this, and you actually kind of nailed it. SaaS companies have to evolve. You know why? Because everybody's now tightening up EBITDA, and they're worried about margins. They're not trying to burn money. So their customer success programs are effectively getting smaller. Yep. And when they're getting smaller, that becomes even more challenging unless you start changing the way that mm -hmm. things happen and run inside the company. So one of the motions we've been taking is like, I looked at the market and said, you know what? 
after spending the last year, year and a half, like really in the market and understanding the community, I recognize what you guys recognize. God, we're really behind a lot of places and like this market needs a lot of help. And I, when we've been internally developing playbooks and different strategic guides. I call them value creation plans that we create. And our program is evolving this next year where we're literally going to customers and giving them the roadmap of how to succeed and telling them what to do and assigning them homework Literally, my goal is to sign homework on any call. So in the next call you come on, you better have gotten your homework done or you're going to get embarrassed because you didn't get your homework done, right? But I think that's what people need yes. because in order to push the platform, look, we can all do the same thing we did 20 years. We can continue to do it today. Use my platform, use my competitors. It honestly won't matter, mm. right? But if you can start adding a layer of strategic, giving people guidance, giving people things that you need to do, and it's also the opposite guidance. You know, Ron, one of the things I see often is that brands that are too small, try to do too much, much, right? They try to be like the big boys when none of this shit matters. Right. All they should be mattering about is acquisition at that point. You're a sub million dollar brand man. Email's great. Like I, I love email, I love SMS, but the reality is yeah. it's not much. Right. It's not It's not what's gonna drive the needle. New customer acquisition, more people, that's gonna make the needle move way faster for you, right? right. So it's the same thing, right? It's. It's uh, having that mentality and being able to teach people, educate them and drive them to using your tool and platform to create the best results for them. And to your point, like having humans help you and have people who are experienced retention marketers help you is the key behind it. And that's where even my team is staffed up now. Like I got more ex-brand owners than probably any, like any SaaS company. I'm hiring them like crazy because they, they understand, understand retention, yeah. they understand the market and they realize that I can teach them SaaS, which is, communication. Hi, I'm Jimmy. I'm here to help you. Like that doesn't take much to learn, but you know, what's hard to learn what retention is and how it works and how it, uh, lever, uh, how a marketer on the other end might take that in and work on it. Right. So like even that evolution of who you hire to put into that space is different right. now. Right. So yeah, I, I believe wholeheartedly, like we've already been on the forefront internally working on this, like next change of what's what I believe CSM is. It's not about adding more people. It's about adding better people and having a very executed playbook and the goals that they're setting for the playbook is this. It's not about being customer support. It's about being customer success. And there's a difference between that. Hey guys, we're going to take a quick break from the episode to analyze some of our top performing ads in our ad account. A lot of people have been asking me, what have you been running? Statics, videos. Well, I'm going to show you our top performing ads utilizing a platform called Motion, which pretty much analyzes all the data of all of our top performing creatives, ROAS by spend, by CTR, CPCs, everything. So check it out. What's going on guys? Uh, today I will be reviewing some more ads uh, that we've actually been testing uh, during Q1, right? So the last couple of videos and analysis is that we've done, um, we've reviewed our top spending ads. Um, those are still kind of our, our best winners right now. Um, what we're trying to do is find additional winners to hopefully overtake them when they start to fatigue. So I definitely want to dive into some of the uh, new winners. And I want to start off with one that's actually an iteration on a previous winner, which you might have seen before. Um, you might recognize this headline from uh, an ad that we made. It was a side by side where you had uh, problems um, and, you know, around PCOS um, and then the solution being our product, right? So basically, we took that headline of PCOS belly being an issue. Um, and we decided to create a more, uh, standard banner ad here, right? So took the, took the headline, put it right up top, PCOS belly be gone, slashed out, be gone, right? Uh, put a little cape behind the, uh, the burn elite, something cute there. Um, and again, let off with the USPs, 
nothing crazy, right? Lose weight, curb appetite, burn calories, and then have your 90-day satisfaction guarantee. Uh, main headline on the ad is our current uh, New Year's offer. Um, this one did pretty well, right? Uh, spend around 2400 um, at a 1.47. You know, the, our break-even for this funnel is around a 1.4. And this is in-platform, so, um, you know, blended this. This is probably doing really well. Um, this I'll probably move into scaling if I haven't already. Um, again, this is what iterations are supposed to be. Not taking an ad and changing the color of it or changing the font of it, whatever it is. It's taking that angle and how to recreate an ad that doesn't look the same but entirely different but hitting the same message, right? This, I would say, is a successful iteration. If you haven't seen the other ad, go check back a few videos or check out my Twitter, but um, this is a successful iteration. So if you are looking to iterate on your winners, it's by taking the angle and creating a new ad. It's not taking the same ad and trying to make minor adjustments. Um, so hopefully, you know, this is another, uh, example that you can kind of go and, and copy. Um, but, um, yeah, hopefully this helps. You're talking about team quite a bit and I, I want to shift gears a little bit. This is usually a, a Ron question, but I'm actually super interested because, um, talk about building a team of experts and just people who are owning, you're obviously building a best in class product and you need best of class people to do that. Right? So how do you think about the hiring process? How do you think about, um, you know, reviewing performance and whether or not you, you know, continue with people, let them go. Like, how do you, how do you think about all that? Yeah. Last night we were yeah, talking about night. this in the car. It's actually a great conversation. Cause he goes, you know, Ron was talking about being in the office and talking about that and saying, Hey, I could never do the remote thing. And I was yeah. like, well, let me tell you about how we are able to successfully run remote company and grow as fast as we are. We start with performance. The base of a culture is not hugging is carrying and all that stuff. People it's literally <laughs> performance. Everything else is behind that, right? We're an extremely competitive group of people that have a high mark that we all have to achieve and we have to we have to aim for. So we measure everything, mm -hmm. right? So when we hire people, we tell them upfront about this. We tell them that like, this isn't a skating rink. Like you're not gonna survive being on the bottom class. Like we're gonna cut the bottom, we're gonna move forward. So having that mentality and culture inside the company helps a lot. And then you layer this on with experience, time and stuff. So when I hire people, it's like this first, I'm a founder, we all have gut feelings, that helps right away, right? We get it, you get a great intro, whatever it is, you talk to the person, you know if you're gonna jive with that person. Mm. Second thing I always look at is kind of their work history and what they've done. I mean, mm -hmm. those are things that I always look at. I do look for longevity, I do look for uh, things, and there's one thing I tell everybody, everybody has a pattern. Everybody has a pattern, and when you as a higher recruiter can understand what that pattern of that human is, sometimes you'll see the 5-1, I call it, which is like they stay long, they go somewhere, it doesn't work out, then they find their next home because they start thinking about it and they stop chasing the money, right? Mm -hmm. Then you find the jumpers, right? And then you find the stability people. All of that matters to me when I'm hiring people. It's not just about hiring the brightest minds, but it's hiring the brightest mind who can stay to effectively create enough time in the company to move the company forward before mm -hmm. they leave. Look, mm -hmm. they're all going to move forward. I'm going to move forward. We're all going to move forward one day. But finding the people who can stay and, you know, at least in SaaS, like if you're not staying for 12 months, man, you're really not creating enough effect into the company all so often because mm -hmm. you're just starting to get good at 12 months. You get great at 24 months. You get excellent at three years, but people don't get that. 
they just want to chase the do shiny dollar, but careers are built on working hard and mm -hmm. moving up the ladder ultimately. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think it's upfront, being really good about it upfront, talking to people about performance, and then ultimately like just setting the guidelines and expectations. And then, you know, we all say this, but hire slow and fire fast. That's that's kind of like the model that we still kind of follow too. We have a long strenuous hiring process with a lot of data points, culture indexes and all that stuff. And then if they don't work out, look, most people, 30, 60, 90 days, you know when they're not gonna work out. Yeah. And we just move on it real fast. We just know, when we know, we know, and you move on it. Do you, do you think that creates a sense of fear within the work culture? It would if you weren't winning at the same time and people weren't doing the pop proper thing, right? It's it's more of a glaring, there's a small subject of people who aren't performing versus the other angle, right? So as long as everyone's performing and we're not doing anything out of ordinary, we're not right. doing anything out of expectations, we're doing repeatable, proven, doable processes, right? That we all agree that we are and not just because one guy is doing because the average majority is getting at least that much done. Mm. And it's attainable. So like we back with data, everything we think about, we data driven, we track everything down to like time to value to like the first send to, you know, how many times they're sending a week to how much money they're making. All these things are little data things that we use, health scoring and understanding the book of business. Like mm -hmm. that's all like important things. And I think it comes down to it. If you're introduced that from the day you walk into the door and you know nothing else about this company, that's one thing you'll notice about us is that like we're hardcore about our people and that's why they work hard, right? And we're competitive and we pay extremely well for that too so you know it's 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 a good balance right we want performers and people want to make money love that it's, it's an incredible culture it's uh we were talking about like how yesterday because of the power outage we were like on a zoom for our first all hands and mm -hmm. it was like 20 like little <laughs> faces yeah. and i'm just like oh my god i can't handle this um i i want to touch on before maybe we go into like uh, the, the the fire round i we touched on reviews we touched on email I, I, I want to give SMS a little bit of love. Um, outside of the consolidation points, which I think we covered well, I, I, I want to know if there is something that you're seeing in SMS that's evolving, changing, need to, you know, like, again, segmenting and, and, and those pieces make sense. But like, I feel like, and this is maybe just on my end, I feel like when I get SMS now, I'm just like, just so off put, Yep. no matter the company, it yep. could be my favorite brand, like essentials. Like when I get an attack, I'm just like, oh, I don't, and that, that could just be my shopping behavior. No, now. I don't think so. But like, what's going on with SMS and, and is there room to evolve it at all? Because, and <laughs> I know you have an incredible um, uh, position with Vonage too, which is amazing to be able to have both sides of it. But is there evolution there? Um, there is evolution coming. There's a right. lot of evolution coming right now. So uh, we'll start on the first end of it. I think to your point with SMS, it's weird because SMS has been around for so long, but like only recently did it really get picked up as this weird, truthful, like connection channel that people are doing. But to your point, it's also become this weird channel. And you look at your email box, guys, 140, 150, 200 emails a day. Yeah. Our SMS boxes are starting to do that right now. And yeah. it's kind of getting insane right now, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, First of all, at the carrier levels, they're doing things, not carrier, I'm sorry, like the holder, like apples and Gandrew, they're trying mm. to create spam boxes and all those things, right? That's one line of defense, but it's not really gonna fix too much of it. I think the second line of defense started coming in with like verifications and trying to make people legitimate, right? Mm. So one, two is starting to happen. Three, I think is starting to happen, which is the the change in what, so I don't know, have you ever heard the term RCS before? 
No. Okay, so RCS, I don't even, rich communication, something, I can't remember the exact, but it's basically an Android system where, you know how an iPhone, you can send a really long text and it's like one long text yes. and stuff. You can't do that with an Android, right. the green bubble. Well, the green bubble is going to become like the blue bubble. And what I mean by that is going to be a lot more power, a lot less limitations, a lot less ability because Apple is finally adopting RCS this year. So that next change is going to be really big because now the limitations that we have today could dramatically change. Right now, 160 characters, one credit, blah, blah, blah. If you look at WhatsApp, you could send the longest damn message in the world and it's still just one credit on WhatsApp, for example, when you're sending. So like, you kind of take that idea of the digital ties, have more. So I think that when you can say more, you might actually create a better experience ultimately mm -hmm. for people. Think about that, right? Like yeah. our challenge that we see right now is how do I shove it into 150 characters, 160 yeah. characters? Because yeah. yeah. like we don't want to spend yeah. money. Yep. But imagine if that same thing cost didn't matter if it was 1,600 characters or 160, yeah. you'd say a heck of a lot more. Yeah. Now we're probably going to the wrong way and over talk too at the same time. <laughs> so it's going to be really balanced. But yeah. look, SMS at the end of the day is kind of a commodity in that we all use the same carriers. We all use the same inputs. Right. Yeah, there's compliance and all those things. We all do the right things with compliance. I know people talk about this, scare people about it. <laughs> but the reality is, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this really like in a nice way. Most people listening to this podcast are not big enough that SMS people care about them, mm. right? They're tiny, right? And yeah, mm. you might have a couple issues here and there, but like reality is most people get right by through it, right? Yep. So really, it's just about how can I use that information and intel to empower? So when I think about SMS, I think about a closing channel, a tool that is designed for now in time action because everything happens within two, three hours from that SMS. After that, the SMS is dead. Mm. And what I mean by that is if I catch Ron walking down the hallway and I send him an SMS and he looks at it and he clicks on it, that's the now and then. But if I miss him at that time, he goes into meetings five, you're just gonna scroll through those ones yep. later on because it wasn't a now channel, right? Mm -hmm. So it's finding people in the now. So why does it work really well and why is it important? I think it's all about tying it with your other channels and starting to utilize it, asking for reviews on an SMS or tying that intent and reminding them to make that purchase, right? Yep. I always tell customers, SMS batch and blast, terrible idea. Yeah, you can do it, it's cool, you can use it, but like the reality is it's like, you should use it for a closing tool, an urgency tool, a push tool, introduction tools, a private list tools, things that are like really like special mm. because SMS at the end of the day is special. It's in your pocket, you're listening to it, you're looking at it, you're paying attention to a lot more than a normal human, and it's where you communicate to your friends. You barely probably communicate to your friends through email, but you do <laughs> communicate to your friends through SMS. Right. So like all of that, right? So I think about all that, and then I think about how that evolution, I don't think it goes away, but my theory and a lot of the things that you'll see Sunlane perform on is, I believe that you start need to start living in the channels that your customers want to live in. Mm. And that channel is gonna continue to spread out. It's it's really weird because if you look at like someone like Europe, for example, they love WhatsApp. They also have seven other tools like, you know, they'll use Kayako Talk or Viber or Telegram, all these different things, but they all have kind of centralized and agreed on what they want to use. Mm. So they all kind of use that. But you come to the US, dude, we're like the wild, wild west. People are still on Messenger, people are still yeah. on, you know, all these different things. But that's what makes the U.S. consumerism so amazing, yeah. right? Yep. And guess what? As marketers, we have no choice but to be on the channel that they are on, not Correct. the channel they want. So why do I think SMS is important? It's not going to go away, of course. Gen Z, younger generations love SMS. But yeah. how do you get them to engage more? You're not going to get... Saving a contact, guys, is not really what you need to do, right? right. Like, that's not going to change the game of anything. What you need to do is find a way to create them to want to get your SMS. I don't know what it is exactly. Yeah. I think that everyone's still TBD on it, but all I know is effectively the only way that works really well is a now tool and that you're doing things less about blasting, but more about pushing.
Yep. And that's the only thing that I've seen in the market really work right now. I think a lot of brands have these two channels like separately, mm -hmm. right? SMS, email. Is there anything that, or any like tactical advice that you have where it's like, all right, if you move to Sunlane and yep. you have both in one place, is there anything like cool that you can, any, any strategies that are really interesting that you can utilize to yeah. leverage both? Absolutely. I talk about this all the time, but I'll give you the most easy example I always tell. I'm walking down the street. Ron, well, I'm going to use Ron because he's perfect for this. Ron's walking down the street with his wife and he gets a text message. You know, he gets a lot of them. He gets a text message. He looks at it and goes, oh, sh red shoes, 20% off right now. I click on it. And then his wife goes, Ron, we're about to eat. Get off your phone. Probably every day. I get every that day. right every day, right? And then I forget because Ron's going to forget because he's going to have 900 other text messages at one time now in channel, right? Never again. It's not, he's not going to go back to it. But the reality is if three hours later, you could show up to your inbox and mm. pops to the thing and says, hey, those red shoes are still 20% off. Finish your buy, right? Like whatever it might be, right? And being really targeted and focused and being able to do that. Three hours later, setting up that cadence. These are things that you can do on Sunlane because you have a unified channel. Mm -hmm. You can create that unified experience. If you have two disparity channels, Unfortunately, most times all you're really doing is batching that you have 20% off red shoes and That's emailing right. that you have 20% yep. off red shoes, but not actually combining that action to the reaction mm -hmm. that comes mm -hmm. in. And alternatively, you can do the other way. I love customers that are doing the other way. They'll send an email out almost like a net. And they'll have like four, five, six different things on there. Based around what they click, they're firing off in three hours an SMS reminder to complete that purchase, mm. to complete that specific click or category focus. That is what unification really solves. And, mm -hmm. I, and I say it in the market, I don't care if it's with me or even if it's my competitors. Getting unified is your next motion to a more complete retention stack. Right, yeah. That's really, the, that's really the answer. It's not just about me. It's about anyone bringing it together because they understand inherently that those have to be together and separating them you are losing revenue, no matter how tightly integrated, how you know how good this or blah, blah, blah it is, yeah. you're always gonna lose revenue unless you can get them connected in the data together at all times in real time. I think people are always chasing the the little bit of a lower cost savings, yeah. Yeah. right? It's like, oh, I can save a couple hundred dollars by switching here. Like you could have made that up just by utilizing that strategy. Yeah. And, and well, I, I tell people everything. this, I, I, I actually had this conversation with someone. I said, look, if you're a $10 million brand, right? We talk about 20 to 40% of your money should be coming from your retention channel, right? Let's just use 20%, right? It's $2 million you're going to make. Does it really matter what $250 a month is really going to change on that $2 million in annual? It's the same reason why should I hire an agency or not? Actually, you should because are you going to trust a $60,000 a year person to manage your $2 million revenue that you're supposed to make? Or can you go hire $60,000 and get a whole agency to manage that $2 million. Mm -hmm. You're most likely gonna win more off that $2 million than you are gonna have with a single person. Right. Like I, I, you know, even me, like even me putting myself in that shoe would still be an incredibly hard challenge by myself versus what you could do because you don't have the team, right? right, right. A good a good team of uh, retention marketers, yeah. you need a designer, copywriter, you need multiple marketers, you need a data person like to do it correctly. And that only happens at scale. So like people don't think, and sometimes it's a, it's a, I always call this the founder fallacy because I still remember there's always one tool. I don't remember what it was. I just remember it was a widget on my Shopify store that I uninstalled, but I could not cancel. It was $4.99 a month and it was my $4.99 and it was my thorn in my side every month until I finally just called my credit card company to charge it back because yeah. I was so mad. Just block it. Right? I know it's $5. But founders, we think yeah, about that, right? Course. Marketers don't, maybe, but founders do. So, like, those are things I always talk about. But, like, yeah, to your point, like, sometimes people don't realize the value that they have in front mm -hmm. of them. So, to your point about SMS, yeah, if I paid a little bit more money, 
would that be a problem? Yeah, at the bottom line it might be, but the actions that you can create out of the platform and tool, mm -hmm. sometimes it's worth the money, right? That's the thing you have to think about. Very and people, people do, you're right. Like saving every penny is something important to them. I get it, I know how important it is too, but reality is it's we're talking pennies and cents at that point. Yeah, yeah I agree. It's literally point oh oh. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, a literally yeah. under a penny. So yeah. we're talking like quarters of pennies, you know? Yeah. Last thing on SMS, anything to debunk on MMS? Oh, so look, I know people love MMS. Um, we've seen the data over and over again, and it doesn't matter if they use 160 characters, 320, 900, whatever, and an MMS. The overall ROI effect, it's all the same as a, a single text. So why, right? Because what's the difference between you looking at a text and having an image in a text versus an image or versus a text? It's you're still doing the same action to look at it, just write better copy. Hmm. That's really what I tell people. Like the problem of most people's text messages, they're not able to say all they need in 160 characters. And it's really hard, I agree. Hmm. But if you can get it just exciting enough and you've got the right audience enough, then the ROI comes back from it. So yeah, there's that. And I know that people will talk about, oh, if you can use MMS or this time of the year or different, I'm sure there's reason for all of these things. But at the higher arching of all data that we've ever collected so far at SMS, mm -hmm. right. it shows a one credit SMS to ROI metrics makes no difference hmm. and people people spend too much money on sms like, i know it hurts me yeah. when i say that but like the reality is they do they they have yeah. too much to talk about and they don't need to talk about that sometimes it's, it's sometimes like the cost of two three people like yeah. full-time hires it's yeah. like yeah. holy shit sms is expensive yeah. and it's not getting cheaper like it's gonna keep getting more expensive i think unfortunately as time goes on and it's not mm. us it's the carriers yeah. right. raising their costs they have these carriers are the it's ones that win i you, actually right? laugh i was like the win the winning company is the carriers always because they control all our destinies and they control all the money and they charge and us they've a already of a monopolized lot. Oh, they monopolize and they oh, they you end up paying them more than you pay for everything else you do that's the craziest yeah. part my most expensive fee on sms is the carrier fee yeah it's crazy isn't that wild like, it is wild the, the winner wild. is the middle we're not we're not the winners the, the winners are those end yeah. people right like <laughs> it's crazy besides sunlane favorite SaaS tool on the market Ooh. Whew. That's 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 like a brutal question. <laughs> God. So you know you know what's really funny about me is I my company always calls me the ultimate bug master because I find bugs and issues in like every tool and platform that I use. So I'm gonna I'm gonna use a tool that I really like. Oh, it's not a SaaS tool though. Hold on, let me find a good SaaS tool to like. What do I like? This is super rapid, Jimmy. Yeah, I know this. Is not, <laughs> I'm not I'm not very good at this rapid thing on SaaS. That's such a good question. Like in the in the ecosystem, like who do you think is doing a really good job right now? Okay, that that's a better. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's still that's still a lot that's of. Still uh, pretty tricky. It's been that's two still, and a half minutes. I'm really bad at this because I, I don't want to. You really don't think anybody's doing a good no, job? No, no. I think. Okay, okay. All right, all right. I have different people that I think. Okay, so here we go. Ready? <laughs> Who's doing great? I like Amped.io. Those guys are Matt and the team over there are doing great. Um, I like I like uh, I like this company Loop Subscriptions, for example. Mm. That's one of my new favorites. Loop and Skio, like both those guys of, are fantastic guys and uh, really engineering things for us. I think they're going after recharge. It's great. So I like those guys. We're trying to we're just trying to get you out of the we politically stumped. correct. I know. <laughs> I know. I just stumped um, them. Favorite artist. My favorite artist right now. Who do I like? What'd listening? you listen to on the flight? 
what I listen to on the flight. <laughs> I listen to podcasts. <laughs> you are a sure, big podcast. I'm, I'm a big podcast. Look, music-wise, I, I I'm stuck in my generational like '90s, 2000s, like there. I like old old school rap sometimes, like you know, like you know, Tupac and I stuff like that. I always thought you as like an EDM guy. I don't no, know why. No. So I was in an EDM phase, but back when it was like techno, so I always liked that stuff too. Okay. But I, I think being in the clothing industry opened my like yeah. mantra up, like a lot of those things when I was dealing with it. So I kind of like a lot of music. So I wouldn't say it just it's emotional based around what i'm what doing. you're doing yeah what i'm doing so but podcasts i'd always prefer on podcasts over wow. i like learning yeah favorite movie <laughs> this, this he, doesn't want, he doesn't want to make I'm any of the gonna... directors pissed no, off <laughs> no th- no no this rapid fire is like making me question my own sanity lately i'm just like what do i love watching you know look i'm into co- okay I'll, I'll say a favorite movie I've watched recently. I really enjoyed the Grand Turismo. Grand Turismo, I just was so watched that was so such a good, good. emotionally so good. built in. I'm a big car guy, so like I really. I'm enjoyed a big PlayStation it. guy. So yeah, was that really was such good. a good recent that car. Was, I didn't even know that was a real story. Yeah, I love just... all the Marvel stuff, right? Yeah, like yeah. I'm just big comic nerd, so like I love all the Marvel stuff. Iron Man is always going to be one of my of favorites because it's like yep. it's not just about the movie, but about the personality of Robert Downey and mm-hmm. being Iron Man, like yep. Tony Stark. Like yep. that yep. sounds cool to be. Everyone wants to be Tony Jimmy is the Tony Stark of the. I, I'm trying to be. I'm working yeah. on it. That's, yeah. that's the goal. That's yeah. actually a really, really good. We'll probably put that mask on this edit. <laughs> um, if money wasn't a thing, what's one thing you'd buy? A plane? Yeah. Yeah. Because cool. <laughs> there's nothing worse than wasting time at the airport. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm scared to ask a question. <laughs> Hit him with the last one. <sighs> if you, when was the last time you took a vacation? Actually, just about a week ago. Yeah. Where'd you go? Vegas. What's your dream destination? Dream vacation? I think I've done them all. At this yeah, point. yeah. Fair. I can't say. I, okay, I got one. I've never made it to Australia still to this point, and I've been invited to speak. I've been, had trips planned. I've had booked, and something's always changed. So I would say my dream destination is maybe in twenty twenty four. I'll make it to Australia. Australia. Wow. Yeah. Fair. In the weirdest way. I know it's not. It's not. I don't know. I don't even know what to expect anymore. I've probably hyped it up in my mind, but like, wow. I haven't crazy. made it. That's the only country I've never made it to. That's I mean, crazy. the fact that you can say that is Yeah, amazing. that's also a crazy yeah. fact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, amazing. Um, so, Jimmy, I think uh, you want to hit him with the truth? Yeah. So, at the end of every episode, we have the the last chew. Um, so, if there's one thing that you want the, the viewers, listeners to take back and implement into their business, what's that one thing? You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really take it high level. I'm going to say, keep it simple. And what I mean by this, Chew, is this. One of the most things that I see, the biggest in the market that are happening is people overcomplicate the living crap out of everything. And you inherently fall so far away from what the initial goal was and you overcomplicate things. Start small, keep it simple, test, optimize, and grow from that. And something I've known from 20 plus years of business is like, most of foundational things that we're supposed to do, if you just follow those, you can get good enough success to go work on it. You don't need to over-optimize everything you do mm-hmm. because those dollars and cents to your time and value aren't generally worth it. Right. Chew on that. Chew on that. If you want more from us, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram, follow us on TikTok, and check out the website, chewonthis.io.